0: And so there, there are teams that are like hyper focused on certain aspects of the product of one, trying to improve them and two, not ruining them. Because I think, you know, when you're successful and have a successful product, you're more likely to ruin it than you are to make it better in a lot of cases.
1: Cockroach DB is the only bug you'll ever love because it's the only one you don't have to worry about. As a low-touch SQL database that automatically handles scale, operations, and uptime, CockroachDB lets you focus on developing. Get your free cluster and a free t-shirt at cockroachlabs.com slash stackoverflow. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a thing to talk about, a place to talk about software, technology, the future of work. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And I'm here with my co-host, Paul Ford. Hi, Paul.
2: Hello, Ben. I know we're mixing them in, so we should... This is Sarah. This is a post-Sarah episode. This is a
1: post-Sarah episode. And in fact, we brought on a fresh stacker out of the trenches. My colleague, Ryan Donovan, is here today. Hi, Ryan. Ryan. Hey, guys. How you doing? How you doing? For people who don't know, Ryan graduated from CMU with a degree in technical writing, was working at the Grubhub blog and then came over uh, to work on my team about a year and a half ago. He's been doing a great job for us, basically running running the blog, pulling in all the pitches, deciding what goes up, editing the stuff that's too technical for me. And Ryan also uh, helps to get our newsletter out every week. So a big part of the content marketing editorial operations here at Stack Overflow. All right. Very
3: flattering introduction. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. So Ryan, I know we have two blog posts that we were hoping to publish this week can you sort of cue those up for us? What was the pitch and what are we going to put out there? Once we get that, we have a, we're have we going to bring on a great guest to sort of walk us through some of these ideas.
3: Sure. The uh, the two posts we're going to talk about, there's how developers can be their own operations department. I found that one from a comment on another piece. I thought it was sort of a interesting counterfactual, you know, everybody is, you know, building up their DevOps departments. And I wanted to sort of see how that was done, get some discussion yeah. on it. The other one is how to deal with scope creep when you're working from home. Sort of an interesting idea that scope creep, you know, we all face it. It can be worse when you're working from home. You don't have this sort of, you know, firewall stop gaps that you do right, when you're right. in person.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that first one, Paul. I was just listening to the podcast with the folks from Netlify. I think one of the things he said was, when everyone is DevOps, no one is DevOps.
2: <laughs> my co founder is doing a, a side project at, at Postlight. Just mm-hmm. something from, we, we like to keep our skills fresh, even though we're corporate leaders. And, <laughs> and watching him, because I've done the same path, like watching him figure out how to deploy a relatively simple, but still not totally static website, and watching just yeah. like the brains pour out of his ears as he really. <laughs> <laughs> my take, I'll give you my take because, you know, and I, this isn't what this podcast is about, but as we've been talking about it, cause I'm like, well, you know, Google cloud run is really good over here. And he's like, yeah, but Heroku, but Heroku blows away your, your storage every night. So I can't use SQLite. No, sort of on and on. And, What's happened with with DevOps is they've abstracted out the whole UNIX machine into all these little tiny mm. components. but the thing is that thing built itself over thirty years to, like a nice Linux platform to be a really good hosting environment and so sometimes you just want a little box running somewhere with a with a configuration file and a, and a web server on it to do the work for you and then yeah. instead you have to learn you have to go to aws and there's all those little tiny lego pieces and you're literally putting <laughs> unix back together which only really works if your scale is like you know like walmart scale not that walmart should be on aws that'd be really confusing for everybody that's capitalism gone wrong but uh, right. anyway that's all i just want to make that little point so that people at home have a point about DevOps that they yeah. can internally. I mean,
1: AWS is the big box store of cloud platforms. Exactly. For sure. You go in and you just get lost wandering down
2: the aisles. And when you leave, you have 10 times more stuff than you need. But it's just one server turned <laughs> into millions of icons. You could also just get a Raspberry Pi and probably host 90% of the things you're ready to host. Anyway, that's that's right. just one person's opinion about DevOps.
1: So we have a great guest coming on today, actually, to talk about all this. Mike Brevoort, who is a senior engineer at Slack and has a lot of thoughts about sort of the workspace that people are crafting at home. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So Mike, tell us a little bit about who you are uh, and how you ended up at Slack. I know you, you had a company of your own and this was through an acquisition maybe?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, so I joined Slack almost three years ago. Currently a platform architect, leading sort of the next generation of our platform. I joined through an acquisition of a company I built called Missions, which was a messaging-based workflow system that aimed to you know, try to reinvent workflow on top of these you know, messaging platforms uh, like Slack. And then before that, uh, I did a bunch of stuff and I'm getting old. So, isn't that the best? <laughs> isn't that fantastic? Uh, especially in this industry, an
2: industry that just loves people getting older. Hold on. All right. First of all, what is a platform? To, uh, let's get someone who builds <laughs> platforms to oh, tell us what gosh, a platform Paul. is. Come on. Not fair. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is probably an unfair question, but I think, you know, when it comes to platforms as part of products, I think the most important part of a platform is that you enable people to build greater value than the product could create on its own. And so whether that's money, so you allow people to build businesses on the platform, like, like I did. So I built, before I joined Slack, I actually built a business on the platform. Right. Um, or value in general. So the platform is all about value creation and inclusivity.
2: There's another element too, which I always think about, which I think is a very, this was very much like Microsoft's way of thinking about it, which was that you're always, the transaction costs go down too, as the platform scales like bigger, gets cheaper and easier as time goes on.
0: Yeah, and similar to what you were talking about with you know AWS, it, you're just like it's like layers that you stand on. It's like standing on the shoulders of giants and these platforms. Are places to to stand upon, to build upon. So you don't have to build your Unix server all on yourself. You get to plug into a platform, like a platform like Slack that provides things like push notifications and messaging and authorization and basically authentication and a UI framework and all these little bits to be able to connect to build on top of and reach. I think like network reach to people, customers, opportunities, especially when they're the the customers and the people that you want to reach is is a big opportunity in the platform.
3: And it, it doesn't hurt that they're uh, becoming dependent on your, your platform, right? They're building their lives on your, your platform.
0: I mean, it really shouldn't be your goal. I think anybody that has that goal will find themselves in probably a dark place way down the road. Like, we don't want to trap anybody to use our platform. If you find it valuable, you'll stay, you'll bring other people, uh, and you'll, you'll build on it. And I think that, you know, is like that rising tide sort of raises all boats, mentality well here's what's tricky with
2: that right which is that and this is the complex thing about enterprise and i work in this space too just in a much (laughs) really tiny way compared to the scale of slack which is that a lot of your users are given this thing when they walk in the door right and they they're just sort of like okay you're on slack now and i think look it's a baseline everybody uses it and i like I, i can't imagine my company without it but how do you think about that, right? Like a lot of the, a lot of the people who are coming in, and I I think almost tie it back to, you know, workflow is such a broad and and it's almost as spongy as platform. And I really liked your definition of platform. When you're talking about workflow, what are you talking about? And, and like, what does that mean to the people who, you know, here you go,
0: welcome to the company. Here's your Slack login. Let's get some work done. You know, I think it really just comes down to how your team works. And, uh, how you get things done, how you work together, the tools and the processes that, that you use. And when I think of workflow, it's not the 25-step automation that generally is pretty brittle. Uh, it's all the little things. It's what we tend to call the work of work. And, and all that you could automate, those little bits, that's what I consider workflow. like Really simple. And that's why we built that missions product in the first place. And that's why we're doubling down on workflows at Slack is that simple things like filling out a form and routing that to someone to be able to make a decision, to be able to draw a certain person or team's attention to certain things at a time, like we consider that workflow. It's really like how workflows within the system of the people and, and the tools that you use. And
2: just real quick, go from abstract to concrete. Like, give me an example of, of a task getting done with a, inside of a workflow context.
0: You know, we have, there's a lot of cases at Slack where we use uh, shared channels with, uh, with all of our customers. So that's sure. Use, there's a program called Slack connect. <laughs> where you can connect to multiple companies and it's really common to create a workflow in those channels for people to submit feedback or request a meeting with their 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 corresponding person on the slack side or vice versa with those teams and you could have posted in that channel a message to say hey i'd really like to meet talk about this and then you would wait for someone to respond and say when might we do that when you're available uh and what do you want to talk about and who might we need to bring in the conversation and instead if you if you front door that with a form that asks for exactly what you need to be able to service their request and they know what they need to provide, and you can react to it very quickly. Like That's just like this grease between the cogs to streamline who needs what when, and how can I service them as soon as possible?
3: I think it's, uh, it's interesting that Slack has sort of become the default notification channel. It sort of minimized the places where you're getting notifications, right? Like you have email, you got your... Jira, you got your other other apps. And they all go to Slack. Google
1: Docs, Monday.com. Do you want
2: me to go on? I could go on for hours.
1: Well,
3: How many literally, notifications so, I so
2: can YouTube advertising.
3: <laughs> so can literally everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they all show up in Slack and it makes it a sort of simpler workflow.
1: I think also, well, just to say, I mean, it is really interesting because like there's friction within even one organization. How do we organize these things? When you're trying to mesh two organizations in that shared channel, you're really, like you said, overcoming a lot of hidden obstacles in the sense of, oh, maybe we could book a meeting, but we're not on the same calendar and I don't have your email. And, you know, there's just like a lot of unknown unknowns there that you can sort of, yeah, avoid that friction if you build these automations. In. So
2: I have a tiny Slack story, which is relevant. And then I want to ask a question. So my tiny Slack story is one day I was complaining, because I'm old, that it's very hard to see emojis or Slack emojis at their little tiny size. My worn out eyeballs can't witness them. And I tweeted about this and... Uh, Stuart Butterfield endorsed the tweet, which is not a great thing if you're – I mean, like, that's a, that, <laughs> it's an awkward moment, right? Because it's just like, oh, I, I guess this has to be dealt with now. I'm assuming if you're on the inside of Slack. And then later, much later, which was a wonderful insight into how, how long it takes to change product at a certain scale – That happened. It was really good and really exciting. And now when you mouse over, you see the emojis. And I'm sure that was not only my idea. I'm sure that Stuart was just having a good time with me. So... Let me take that back and issue another feature request now that I have another Slack person nearby. (laughs) And the reason I'm doing this is actually I'd love to talk about how getting something into Slack is huge. And it's possibly, assuming the deal goes through, part of an even bigger organization in Salesforce. And so, like, I'd love to talk about how ideas get into products at this scale. Because I think relatively few people have that experience uh, who are listening. And you're someone who does that all day. And so here's my feature request. I would like a random, like just when you go into Slack and you can see that nice random channel, right? Where everybody can chat. I would like a version of that that expires in like two hours, Right now, Slack only (laughs) lets me expire things, I think, in 24-hour intervals. I'd like something that's truly disposable, truly random, so that people can kind of just chat but not feel that, like, when somebody comes in later and does a search or connects, that they're going to be able to find this stuff. Because that's actually as my company scaling people are coming in from other organizations or people are coming in connected to other things. And we're worried that like, they're going to search for the products they worked on and find us complaining about them. And so like, how do, so that, that's my feature request. Okay, first of all, how would I make that? <laughs> How would I actually you, say... You I want, want the,
3: uh, a 4chan Snapchat version of it?
2: Hell yeah. We actually built one at work. It's called yap.chat, which is just ephemeral chat. But it's that's nothing compared to what it would be like if it was built into... Oh, Ryan, I thought you were saying if you
1: want to get steward's attention, now you have to go on 4chan. I was very... <laughs> no,
2: okay. no, no, no. That's that. Boy, that would be a hell of a no, Daily <laughs> Beast story. Mike, no. yeah,
1: let's say let's say you wanted to, yeah, you know float a product idea and get it on the roadmap and, and have it become a reality down the line. What's a good place to start in that... Sort of, yeah, like amorphous space of a big co.
0: It's a, you know, it's a challenge. It's like a challenge, even whether it's your personal life, professional life, whatever role you're in, there's so many demands drawing your attention that you could only read one thing at a time, think about one thing at a time. And you've got to try to take in all this information, synthesize it and make sense of it and figure out what's important and to who and how does it drive, you know, the type of change that you're trying to make. With your specific example, that's a really good example of a case where you could build an app for Slack on a platform that has an admin token that is a member of that channel and deletes the messages every two hours. And that, that's also a really good example of the power of a, of a good platform doing good things is that it allows people to solve problems for themselves. Because there's a lot of cases where you know, a lot of people have a lot of feature requests. And this isn't to say that they're like trivial feature requests. There are some things no, no, that people no. want. No, no,
2: At this scale, a million people want a million things. Absolutely.
0: And and some of those things would be like profoundly valuable to individual people based on their use case, but you know as a product company you can't you can't build everything for everyone. And in, in a lot of cases, if you try, you'll completely ruin the product, right? So you have to be like really careful in like curating your project, your, your feature set, and to create a, a comprehensive product, one that 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 is like comprehensible. How do you,
2: right? Because now you've got a million feature requests, okay? And there's only a certain number of people on the other side. Talk a little bit about that decision-making process because I'm sure everyone listening has had a million feature ideas and you know emailed them and wondered like, why didn't that get into the product?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's two ends of the spectrum. There is the one that's more um, sort of top-down driven or strategic driven from the company that says, these are our major initiatives this is what we're trying to accomplish as a company. And we try sure. to align initiatives but you know, behind that. And we try to line up features underneath that to try to accomplish those goals. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which sometimes people call paper cuts, or these features that are like in high demand for users that aren't necessarily tied to like our strategic initiatives that we balance working on both those things. We know they're really important. We know that you know, customers and users using, you know, Slack and being happy with it is like really important to their day-to-day and then being productive. Um, And so in that, you're just, you know, we're we're prioritizing. So we we do things internally, uh, like, you know, we use JIRA to track issues coming in and backlogs and these requests, and we tie them back to Zendesk tickets. We also use Zendesk. There's sort of numbers that we try to quantify some of the demand for some of these features, at least that come in from support channels. Uh, and so we have that we have there are other mechanisms where uh, if you have like a, a, an account executive or a support person at Slack that you work with that helps funnel uh, these requests in, we have channels to be able to submit these requests and organize them and at least get the the PMs that manage those parts of the product aware of that, that challenge, not just the feature request, but what the, you know, the underlying sort of friction or problem or thing you're trying to accomplish is because that's really usually the, the more important thing to understand.
2: Help me understand what a product is at Slack, right? Because like you know, I, I download the desktop app and I log in and it goes and then I'm, I'm off to I'm off to the races. And so that's the product. And then there's all the sort of things going on in the back end and enterprise relationships and so on. Like, would a product owner be in charge of the or like what how granular does it get? How how do you break this thing down into pieces that people can actually manage?
0: It's broken down into fairly granular level. And we—it is—it's interesting because it is one product ultimately that brings it all together. There are a few add-ons that you could you could purchase. There are some enterprise features. There are levels of our product, but ultimately it's it's one cohesive product. Yep. And so that's where like alignment of these initiatives are are so important. And so there, there are teams that are that are focused solely on messaging and the messaging experience and like the composer experience, and that's all they focus on all day long is composition and making that better Mm -hmm. and fighting off the tendency to say, do we add one more button? What will that, you know, what will that provide? How much, (laughs) you know, we always assume that it's like if we could just remove clicks, that's better. Actually it's worse. Mm. Like if if you have every option available to you at all times, it's just absolute decision fatigue. Like it's all these things that aren't important and it actually is better. Like if there's a catalog of how I use certain features in the product where I know that I, you know, you have these these paths that you go down. It's like, I go down here, I turn right, and I turn left, and there it is. And it's there when I need it, but it's not on my face all the time. And so there, there are teams that are, like, hyper-focused on certain aspects of the product mm-hmm. of, one, trying to improve them, and two, not ruining them. Because I think, you know, when you're successful and right. have a successful product, you're more likely to ruin it than you are to make it better in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah, that, that actually gets us to one of the articles we're discussing, and I think we can put this in the context of Slack or other things, which is, preventing scope creep. So like, I, I love what you're just saying, you know, each sort of piece of the overall, you know, Slack experience has a team and they're not only thinking about relentlessly sort of about how to improve it, but also how to defend it, you know, internally and externally, somebody might have a feature idea that comes in from a tangent, but, you know, is going to interfere with, yeah, sort of like what they see as the essential experience and maybe try to boil it down, actually make it more confusing. Mike, like when you think about scope creep and, and managing that, is there a difference between doing it when you were at the office and you were rubbing shoulders with people and you were having meetings and lunch versus now everybody working remotely, kind of in isolation and often, yeah, like maybe if they're doing smaller projects, doing that in a sort of largely remote and asynchronous way.
0: I think some of the things that are different are just exaggerations of what already existed. And I think that Mm -hmm. when it comes to things like scope creep or uh, misunderstandings of what you were trying to accomplish in the first place, which I think happens more times than not, there's like breakages or inefficiencies in communication and alignment. I think it really comes down to that and having, and wh- and it really depends on how teams are operating. Are you operating as a single unit with shared goals and shared vision and working toward the same thing? And we have that same level of understanding or it, when you're in the like agency mode, you're in uh, more of a, a, like a provider Customer kind of relationship where things are sort of contractual, Mm -hmm. there are hard costs. But even in that case, I think a lot of times it comes down to misunderstanding of what our hard constraints really are. And I I really love the way, you know, Brene Brown puts it when she says, clarity is kindness. I think when it comes to scope and schedule and project and software, that that's kind of key and that we need to make it really clear. When we say we want to add some new feature, let's say to some project, that has some schedule and some team working on already. The response to that should be, we could do that. This is what uh, it could take, but that will mean that there's gotta be something that gives, right? So, and whether that's the the, the triangle of, you know, scope timelines or, or people working on it, there's a negotiation that needs to happen there. And I think the more that we can drive mm-hmm. to the clarity mm-hmm. and work in the, the bounds of reality, the better. And I think that the way we've been working now, where if you were used to having all those conversations in person, uh, and there being like no friction in in being able to resolve that. Moving to this this space where everybody's not in the same room and there's just more friction to be able to ask for clarification, to overhear a conversation. And I think if you worked in that way, it was probably a much harder transition for you.
3: Yeah, and I think one of the other things that makes this scope creep hard for a lot of people is that working remotely, you no longer have the the hard separation between home and office right? It's so easy for office to kind of bleed in. So you no longer have such a fixed amount of resources, people's time. You know, you add this feature on from the paper cuts, and people are like, oh, sure, I'll work a little bit after dinner. I'll I'll add that in.
1: Yeah, I was just alerted by uh, the Telegraph this morning that there's a micro generation born between mm-hmm. 1980, and 1980 and 1985. We're known as geriatric millennials. I think... <laughs> we're the one, I, I just miss the office so much, man. I can't adapt. I'm I'm old and creaky, even though I'm not quite 40. And I, I do think that when I talk to people who are, who are younger than me, like the shift to remote life has been a breeze for them. Like I started out in an office without Slack and chat being the sort of, you know, the given and they didn't. And so like for them, it's just not as much of an adjustment at all. Like I actually used to get freaked out in the newsroom when I would, Realized that nobody had spoken to each other for hours. Like we were all just sitting at our desks and we might as well not have been there. But I guess one other thing thinking about this before we get to the end is, uh, you know, like we were just talking through sort of like, yeah, how do you manage these things? And Mike, I, I like what you're saying, which is that it's not so much about sort of like the physical or technical logistics as the security. It's more about, you know, your expectations and your alignment, you know, your ability to understand where there might be friction or how you can sort of get on the same page with people. Just before we go, can you opine for us a little bit about how that might relate to being your own operations department? We actually had some interesting developments this week. We had Netlify on the show, and they talked about creating this sort of really useful build and deploy preview that can be shared across all departments. So one of the sort of things that used to get in the way was like, oh, I want to see what the web page looks like and get my feedback from the marketing team, but I don't actually have a GitHub account. Or I'm not, you know, actually that used to using one.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've had some some blog posts. Uh, we had a great one from Charity Majors at uh, Honeycomb about you know l- making the uh, feedback loop in in CI/CD smaller and making the devs into the operation department kind of makes that loop into a dot. It's sort of an interesting like getting rid of the middleman. You're writing run, run books for how to make you know take care of your your cattle and or pets in production. And like you know, somebody's got to use the runbook. Somebody's got to test it. If the person writing it is the one testing it, there's no friction there.
0: Yeah, I think you're. I think uh, you bring up a really good point that the tighter you can make the the feedback loop, or like the distance from the possible pain, the better. Because once you are in a position where uh, if I make a change and I push it and I don't test it, I don't review it, I expect someone else is going to do that and it lands and I like I take down our whole service and the company loses a bunch of money or. Or whatever. Like the closer you are to that action, to that response, the more careful you're gonna be. As well as if you have this sense of responsibility, and let's say you're the one that's getting constantly woken up in the middle of the night, it's not only your responsibility to support that, it was your Fault in the beginning, and it's also your responsibility to fix it. And so, our mindset yeah. as engineers should be: how do we fix this? Like, how do we build more protections in place? How do we how do we ensure that people you know make good decisions? Because it's not just like do better; it's like how do we protect ourselves against ourselves? Which is where you know things like percentage based rollouts or feature flagging or automation. I think when we think about like your, being your own ops, for me, it's really about what are all the things I could set and forget, like. It's not any good for me to automate stuff that I have to keep an eye on all the time and, and be, be worried if it's going to work. If I can literally, you know, merge a PR and I know it's going to go through some cycle and some pipeline and get deployed and show up and I don't have to worry about it. I know if something went wrong, it's going to get automatically rolled back. That is incredibly empowering and a huge time saver to be able to automate that. And if I know that if something goes wrong, I'm going to be notified Right away. And that's where I think like, you know, we use Slack a lot At Slack. Uh, We have channels for everything. These notifications come into channels where you have like notifications set up to be alerted right away. You get DM'd when like your PR broke the build, didn't break customers yet, didn't make it all the way out. And I think, you know, those two things are, are really important. It's like both automation and having the teams that are responsible for building the products, responsible for running the products. And that usually leads to better outcomes.
2: Related to that, you've got tens of thousands of engineers listening to you right now. You're running a large product org. You're, you're at the, the forefront of this product. You're putting all the pieces together, the design, the engineering. It's all coming together into a more and more cohesive whole. You're looking a little bit into the future. What do the engineers in your world, in the world more broadly, what do you wish they would go learn? What do you wish that they knew so that they could work more effectively in the, the brave new world we're building?
0: You know, I think so many times as engineers, we tend to work in these boxes and some of them we think are imposed upon us. And a lot of them we create ourselves. And this is either I'm a front end engineer, I'm a React developer, I'm a back end engineer, I'm a DevOps engineer. I can't do that. And I think that at the end of the day, it's bits and it's hardware and it's, you know, electrons over uh, wires. And what I, I wish people would do would be more willing to step into these areas of discomfort and learn uh, even just from an empathy perspective because you don't have to know how to do it you just have to know how to wield it and i think amazon and aws is really great at allowing you to wield really powerful technology if you if you learn how the abstraction works without needing to know how all the details work and so i wish people would have this comes into play too and we we think about you know technology choices and product choices and things we think that we're we're stuck in these boxes Uh, When, as it turns out, we have a lot more uh, options then. All
2: right, so broaden your awareness and knowledge without being parochial about specific technology choices. Remember that the computer is a computer, not like a, a box of JavaScript.
0: And don't identify yourself as some technology. I am a Go developer. I am a re. Guess what? I've been in this. Ind- you've been in this industry for a long time. That changes and your identity will change. And you've been I'm
2: where you are, man. I'm like, uh, yeah, but it's just a lot of light switches turning on real fast. I, I hear you, but I got to make the box blink. You know, so let, let's, let's focus on that part. I think that's really tricky, right? Because the product <laughs> focus translating all the way down to getting something done. There's like five cultures in between, not just like five, five hierarchical levels of an organization, but actual whole cultures of getting work done. And so like that translation's right. hard. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I think people should, product sensitivity is a great goal for engineers moving forward.
0: You know, as we move forward out of this, this this pandemic which by the way is an odd thing to say it's like part of our vernacular did you ever think three years ago i'd be like by the way how's your pandemic it's like right. anyway as we move forward at this time i think you know there's a lot of speculation about like everything's going to change everything you know we're going to go ba- or we're going to go back to the way it was and there's a lot of opinions and i think that i think we know i feel pretty confident that things are going to change they're not going to go back to the way they were they're also not going to stay the way they are now From our perspective, from Slack's perspective, we've done a lot of research. We have a group called the Future Forum that's done uh, industry collaboration with a lot of sort of deep research over the last year about the way we think things are going to move forward. And we're very much focused now not on is it in person, is it remote, but that things should be digital first. And so I think as you think about how you move forward with how you work with your teams and whether or not you're in the office or you're not in the office, I think thinking about things from a digital first perspective is a really good way to to frame how you move forward and how you think you're going to operate as, you know, in the years to come. I'm going to read us
1: out uh, a lifeboat badge winner. That was somebody who found a question on Stack Overflow with a score of negative three or less. Gave it an answer and got it up to a score of twenty or more. So awarded two hours ago to Averroes, Check if integer null.
2: Yeah, that's a classic. We'll let you know. There's a way to check. There's a classic. That's a classic. Oh my goodness, exactly. null null checking. Uh, it'll be in the show
1: notes. All right. So now we're all going to say who we are and where we can be found on the internet if we want to be found. I'm Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, and you can always email us podcast at stackoverflow.com
0: and i'm mike brevort i can be found on twitter or github and many places it just as m brevort that's one e two o's and i am the platform architect at slack
3: i'm ryan donovan you can find me uh at the stack overflow blog or twitter which i don't really use uh, i don't know my own handle there
1: <laughs> great well we'll just i'll just put that in the show notes so if people want to go to a, yeah. a twitter account that is rarely active yeah let me check yeah, it yeah. out
3: yeah Uh,
2: My name is Paul Ford. I'm a friend of Stack Overflow. Good friend, I think. And you should check out our company, Postlight, postlight postlight.com, where we are hiring product managers, designers, and engineers to do all kinds of very interesting work across a whole lot of industries. So I would love to hear from you. Terrific. Yeah, Paul, at this point,
1: you're you're the show's best friend. I mean, let's be honest.
2: I should be. I mean, you know, I'm
1: here. I show up every time. I don't know if it's live yet but you can go check out PostLights company page on Stack Overflow. We set we helped them set that up. It's got uh details about the company and, and positions you can apply it's for. It's all worth it yet, now.
2: Paul? Yeah, oh my god, yeah. No, we are we are just seeing that
1: growth. Yeah, and if you want to put Slack and Stack together, you can head on over to uh, stackoverflow.blog/teams. You can sign up to use Teams for free. That's our knowledge management tool and it's got a great integration with Slack. People just ask a question in there Pops It out, populates it into a, a Stack Overflow for Teams question. You can save that knowledge forever instead of having to go back and find it somewhere later.
0: I will say that I have been using, I think I've used Stack Overflow about 50 times this week as I've been working on something Mm. and it's felt like the teammate you could turn to and just ask like, how do I do that again? I've been going between like four different languages and I think like, you know, Stack Overflow for teams is like, uh, it's having that teammate next to you that you could just, you don't want to, you know, anybody else you're like, I don't want to bother and ask again, I want to do the work. Just ask, (laughs) just ask and there's so many answers to be fine. Right.
2: All right. All right. We did it. We did it. We solved all the world's technology problems again.